Welcome to the Podglomerate. For everything that you were too afraid to ask at home, too embarrassed to ask at school, or was just too hard to ask your partner, welcome to the Sex Wrap. Hey everybody, and welcome back to The Sex Wrap. Happy to have you here today answering your questions about love, sex, relationships. And Spring is still gallivanting across the country. Uh, Last week she was in Denver, which is one of my favorite cities. Uh, Actually, I wanted to move there rather than move to Miami, Um, but I love where I am now, Um, kind of. Uh, But no, she was in Denver last week, and this week she's in LA doing all kinds of crazy, awesome things like hiking, LA is where I want to live now. I was just there a few weeks ago, and every time I come back to Miami, I'm I feel like I'm in this like weird, moist sibling. Um, so while spring's gallivanting around the world, I'm here today with one of my very best friends, um, Ashley Falcon. Um, we work together, we play together, we do all kinds of fun stuff, uh, and. And I thought it would be really interesting to bring on another guest who focuses on a different aspect of sexuality to talk about your questions. Um, So how are you doing, Ashley? I'm doing well. How's it going? I'm great. Um, Over the weekend, I took Ashley to drag shows. I know I talk about drag way too much with our listeners, but um, I took Ashley. Was it your first one? Um, no, I would say, well, in that location, second of, of my life. Second at Palace. And who else was there with us? I was able to bring my mother. It was really <laughs> wild. So um, we went to the palace. If you're ever in Miami, go to drag brunch at the palace, uh, Saturdays and Sundays. They're not paying me to plug them. It is awesome. It's um, worth it. Totally worth it. Uh, they have two different shows, but you go and it's the most over the top, energetic, crazy, high fashion, high energy drag that you'll ever see. It kind of spoils you for drag anywhere else. So we take people there. So I took Ashley, took her mom, and I think her mom had a really fantastic time. She most certainly did. She already has plans for a returning. She has lots of uh, photos that she's shared with others to show the excitement of the experience. Yes. It's super fun. So if you can get out there and uh, see a drag show at some point. Um, and that has nothing to do with our questions for today. So I said earlier that uh, Ashley is a human sexuality specialist, and, and what she really focuses on is rape and sexual assault. Um, so today, uh, at the beginning of the episode, I want to put out a warning, um, a trigger warning, um, that we're going to be talking about really sensitive issues. We're going to be talking about sensitive topics. We're going to be talking about things that have happened to our listeners, their friends, people in your life. So be really aware. Um, at the beginning of the episode, and again at the end, I'm going to give you a little bit of information um, If you or someone needs help right now, we have a national hotline. Um, It's the National Sexual Assault Hotline. It's run by RAIN.org, and it's 1-800-656-4673. Feel free to send us any questions. You can contact us on email, Instagram, our phone number as well if you want any follow-up for this episode. Um, So I thought what I would do this week is a lot like last week. Last week we had Cindy. Thank you, Cindy. Um, Where uh, I compiled a list of questions that you, our listeners, have submitted over the past few years about rape and sexual assault um, and have someone who's an expert really talk about it. Um, So Ashley, uh, how how do we define rape and sexual assault? So many ways. Um, Of course, you can talk about moral. You can talk about legal. I like to talk about um, the, the moral side of things. So really simple, anything that is against your will without your consent or when you're unable to freely give consent. I like to break it down that way because it gives you an idea of a few things to consider Um, against your will. Of course, we can talk about, you know, how can you say no? Is no verbal, nonverbal or or different things like that. But uh, we can also talk about, you know, uh, consent as far as what does that mean? Uh, Of course, we we define it freely given, um, reversible, informed, 
enthusiastic and also specific. So if you give consent for one thing, doesn't mean you are giving consent for all things. If I borrow your car today, can I take it whenever I want, right? And then that last piece of, you know, uh, when you're unable to give consent. So thinking about situations where someone might be more vulnerable, um, when you're intoxicated, when you're isolated, maybe um, uh, mental impairments, anything like that, that kind of feeds into not being able to give consent, or even if you were able to give consent, not feeling like you have control over the situation. Right, not being forced into it. We talk about consent a lot on our show, and I think it's important for us to continually keep talking about what does it mean, what does it look like, and it's especially important when we start talking about rape and sexual assault because it helps clarify some of the other issues. Um, did you know in North Carolina that once consent is given, it can't be taken away? Ooh, there are a lot of laws that are a little antiquated. There's also, you know, some on the book that say if you are married, you cannot be raped or sexually assaulted by your partner. So we need Yikes. to work on that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, this kind of links to the next few questions. Um, just how prevalent is rape and sexual assault? Mm, so it's it depends on who you ask uh, and how the data is collected, how the def- uh, the definitions play out. But um, CDC, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, talk about... Um, sexual violence in general that involves physical contact and that's kind of the most extreme stat um, and that's kind of like one in three females or nearly one in four males Um, it's a little bit um, different when you just talk about specifically rape or sexual assault where we see usually you you probably hear about like one in five women or one in six women Um, it's more in the realm of one in in 71 men these are a lifetime risk Um, and that gets a bit more extreme when you talk about college campuses and people that are, are students as on college. Yeah. So it's really, so I have a question for you. So I was at the photocopier at at where I work a couple years ago and another person came up and grabbed my ass. They just grabbed it. And then they they kind of goosed me right there. (laughs) No consent given. Um, As all of the listeners know, I don't like to be touched and I make it, I broadcast it like, Mm -hmm. I'm not real huggy. If you want a hug, talk to Spring. She loves hugs. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I don't like being touched at all. I'm not like Howie Mandel. Like I shake hands, but I have hand sanitizer with me. You're not like a germaphobe per se. Like we're sitting in my office right now. And and there's a giant bottle of hand sanitizer right next to me. (laughs) So how, how would you define it? At the time, I didn't say anything about it because I thought there was a really big power imbalance and I was afraid I'd be labeled a troublemaker and that the person had like authority over me in a lot of different ways. So what do you call that? I mean, at its face value, it's, it is an assault because you've been, you've been unwantingly unconsensually fondled. And so, you know, I think that that plays into the part of, you know, when there are power differentials, not being able to, to feel free to speak up and, and say that, hey, these are my boundaries. So I think that, that falls into it, even though you might not have vocalized it at the time because you felt like you weren't able to give consent. You were being constricted by the power dynamic. Uh, about a year later, that that person came back and they actually apologized to me for what they had done. Mm-hmm. So it was like kind of interesting to watch them. Um but then I'm also someone who's really outspoken about issues of rape and sexual assault, and I'm pretty continually talking about them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it finally like caught that that sort of behavior. Kind of, yeah, and they it's, became aware, and then it's nice to know that they made amends. Yeah, they thought they were flattering me at first. I'm like, least flattering ass grab ever. No, thank right. you. Um, okay, so uh, another one of our listeners asked the question, why is there so much sexual assault in the United States? I think this is a really important question because we see that in the United States, there's a lot more reported Mm -hmm. than there is in most of our other similar other similar countries around the world. Absolutely. And then let me just add to that. What's reported is not the full picture either. It's heavily underreported. Um, 
but what causes it? You know, in in general, most directly, we say rapists. <laughs> you know, you see those pie charts online where they have like a laundry list of things that people say contribute to rape, and it's like flirting and sexy clothing and stuff like that. And none of them are shaded in the one and only thing that's shading in is rapists, and that's most certainly the case. But when we look back at kind of like the root causes of what starts this, is I like to say it starts at you know even before birth, so so to speak, in terms of how we are socialized with genders and the gender binary uh, and also the the power dynamics that are ascribed to males females masculinity femininity so we know that one traditionally has been very inferior femininity um, with uh, most of the power going to males and masculinity and i think with that comes some kind of some sense of entitlement uh, you know some you know where i am guaranteed or given you know control over or decide over someone else's body or access to someone's body i think that it starts from there and then once we have our traditional gender roles we tend to push people into those boxes and so you're kind of confined to whether or not you are someone that is in power and whether you have control over your body whether or not you're objectified and it kind of begins with thoughts, attitudes, and language, and then per- perpetuated into coercive behaviors until we get to the point of sexual violence. I, I mean, and it starts early too, right? Absolutely. If we start If we start looking at the kind of like harassment, sexual harassment, sexual assault, sexual violence that starts, like we actually see it starting in elementary school and even younger with touching and name calling. And I mean, so whenever we talk about why is why there's so much, when we look at it, I mean, it's really accepted. It, it's accepted. Like it, for kids, like boys will be boys or he didn't mean to. I mean, we see uh, rapists who are caught in the middle of non-consensual sex with somebody who has passed out with someone behind a dumpster getting pulled off of the person, mm-hmm. essentially getting nothing like no jail time, like 40 hours of community service. Yeah, I think you see everything, you know, essentially we're talking about rape culture, right? So, but it, it plays out these attitudes contribute to not only behaviors, but the way that we set up our systems where we have these antiquated laws that, that say that you are, you know, you are not a victim. This was, you know, something that was entitled to happen to you. Uh, and people taking actions that they think, you know, are okay, but really they're not. Right? I mean, and... And I don't want to say it's complicated because it it really, for me, whenever I'm talking about rape, sexual assault, sexual abuse, sexual harassment, it, it is so black and so black and white. It is so clear, like, this is not a hard concept. Not at all. Absolutely. I think that, and, and that's the thing, it, it, when you take it out of the box, like, like I said, with you know, borrowing your car or borrowing money, like when you put it in some unrelated topic, it all of a sudden, it makes perfect sense. You know, it's like, you lend me five dollars and that means all of a sudden whenever i want to go into your wallet i can take money out like all of a sudden people like hey now that doesn't sound right and you're like absolutely that's completely and utterly correct but when you all of a sudden apply it to sexual you know relationships all of a sudden it gets confusing for some reason but it's really not it's not but it's all of those messages that we hear our whole life and all of that like boy and girl kind of messaging that we get over our lifespan that sort of let it happen. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I think that part of it is when we talk about the traditional gender roles, you know, it's not necessarily easy to fight the pressures that be. So, you know, I, I always talk about, you know, I do kind of this dichotomy uh, with groups sometimes where we say, you know, tell me, tell me the words we use for people who have sex, but we, we divvy it up by males and females. So you tend to, tend to get the dichotomy of a virgin whore, 
and every other iteration of it for females where it's basically a lose-lose situation. doesn't matter what you do, you can't win. Um, but on the male side, it tends to be, and of course, I'm, I'm generally, we're talking heterosexual primarily at the moment, but um, we're looking at, you know, if you do, do have sex, you're usually more positive um, words like Mac Daddy Pimp, you know, man whore. Mac Daddy, what, well, what decade I'm, is I'm aging <laughs> myself, yes. Um, but I also, you know, and those are largely positive. But on the on the other side, when we talk about males who don't have sex, it's usually I'm getting loser, weirdo, fag, you know, all these things that are very, you know, hurtful you know, negative terminology. So it's like, what messages are we sending to people? We're telling males, like, if you don't have sex, something is wrong with you. So you're pressuring, even if they don't want to, that's a myth. You know, all males don't necessarily want to have sex every single moment of the day. Um, but you're pressuring them into performing, being masculine and, and taking these actions. And then we couple that with teaching ourselves and Hey, watch out any favorite movie. All these coercive behaviors are how we demonstrate love. Like this very healthy thing, but no, it's not. So you just said coercive behavior. Do you want to give an example of what a coercive, coercive behavior looks like? Sure. So, I mean, it could really be any sorts of thing, but just think, you know, it's like, you know, how do you, you know, someone says, no, not interested, sorry. Uh, how do you get that red light to, to shift to a green light? So that could be, you know, taking some time to kind of butter someone up, if you will, that could be saying nice things. Let me massage your shoulders and doing things to try to let me buy you a drink, get you a little intoxicated, any, anything that kind of tries to shift someone into a yes, even though they don't necessarily want it. So not necessarily enthusiastic, more so what I call dubious consent, where, you know, all of a sudden they're they're engaging in something that they don't want to do. You know, I've heard instances of people saying like, well, I, I don't think it's safe for me right now. And the only way I'm going to get out of here is if I give something up. So if I give this person a blowjob, maybe they'll let me out of the room. And, you know, that sucks, but at least it, it, it's not worse. Right. I mean, th there's so many stories of people, men and women, who've said no a hundred times and then they say kind of once. Mm. Right. And that's really what coercive behavior is like. I mean, that's kind of what it looks like where someone is pretty much like, no, I don't want to do this. No, I don't want to do this. No, I want to do this. And then eventually they either get worn down, they break down, they fear for their safety, like Ashley was talking about. And like, yeah. you know, I'm going to kind of just try to get out of here by giving the blowjob. That was a really good example. Or, um, yeah, like or I'll, or I'll, I'll tell, I'll out you. I will, you know, I'll find it somewhere else. You promise I've, you know, I'm already overly sexually excited and you got to do something about it. It's your fault. I mean, any of them, I mean, that's what we kind of see time and time again. Yeah. All right. So we have to take a break. Uh, we will be right back. Welcome back to the show, everybody, uh, for the second half of this. I, I think this episode is really important, and I'm glad that Ashley agreed to be here with me today. Um, so I think for the second half of the show, we've been talking a lot about defining it, what it looks like, kind of reiterating some of the uh, consent conversations that we've had previously. Um, we're going to post that pie chart that uh, Ashley mentioned, and then we're also going to post a link to a tea video. You've probably seen the tea video. I know we've posted it to our Instagram story before, but the tea it's story awesome. is a really great way mm -hmm. to describe what consent should look like as well. Um, I think something that's really important, though, is sometimes people feel powerless, and we want to leave all of our listeners feeling really empowered. Um, so what one of our listeners asked, what can they do to help prevent rape and sexual assault? And I don't know if this was from a male or a female listener. So like, mm -hmm. what are some things that people can do to help prevent it overall? 
Sure. So I think there's a spectrum of, of strategies, if you will. And um, I think on one side, you know, risk reduction strategies are kind of the, you know, in an imperfect world, um, you know, don't get raped, <laughs> right? So you see the instances of, you know, things that you do to protect yourself by being cautious of where you go, who you go with, how you dress, all those things. And I think, you know, self-defense classes, now they have the whole, you know, nail polish, they can determine whether your drink has been spiked, uh, you know, safe words in bars, so they know to get you help, different things like that, I think that are helpful knowing that we don't live in a safe world. But I'm also very hesitant, especially to talk about those in isolation, because I think they perpetuate victim blaming in the sense of like, if you didn't do all those things, then it must be your fault. There's something Why wrong with you. Why didn't you spend $75 right. on a special nail polish? Right. And we don't do the things where it's like after someone's robbed. Well, why did you go down that, you know, isolated alley with your Rolex and your suit and whatnot? We don't kind of approach it in the same way. So so there's all those things that you can do. And that's that's great. But with the caveat of don't leave it there. <laughs> There's still more work to be done. Uh, so next step would be more bystander intervention, where we talk about, you know, see something, say something kind of a thing where I see something shady going on. I've identified that it could possibly be a sexual assault. So I'm going to take a step, whether I'm directly intervening, if I don't feel comfortable doing that, maybe I'm instead, you know, kind of distracting, like, hey, you know, I got to go to the bathroom, want to come with me and extracting someone from the situation. Uh, if you still don't feel safe doing that, delegating, kind of getting other people, hey, do you know that person? Come with me and let's have a conversation uh, or get them out of there in some way. Um, and then, you know, you can always check on someone the day after, but there you run the risk of missing an important opportunity that something might have occurred. So there's that. But really, I mean, on the other side of the spectrum is the don't rape <laughs> message, which I think is the kind of the most important one. So how do we kind of create this environment, this community where we respect boundaries and we and we understand that current traditional gender scripts and how we're socialized probably isn't the healthiest way um, to go about things. So really thinking about what we can do to kind of challenge those scripts. I uh, was reading an article recently that said the number one uh, correlate and a correlate is like the relationship. So the number one like kind of uh, pattern that we see for people who are rapists are having friends who share similar kind of beliefs, right? So uh, a group of men who are like, oh, she's a whore, she's a slut, or oh, she wants it, or oh, she needs it, or oh, like those like uh, groups of men mostly who say those kind of things are the men who are most likely to rape somebody else or sexually assault or harass somebody else. Um, and then their friends support it. So I think one of the things that, that really is helpful in preventing rape and sexual assault is every time you hear one of those kind of misogynistic negative jokes, or every time someone tries to say like, you know, the dick rules the man, like, oh, he was thinking with his dick, like, no, he was not thinking Absolutely with his dick. Absolutely, speak up. Yeah, don't stay silent because that, you know, that's not going to get it done. We have to speak up when we hear those things. We also have to be, you know, mindful about the language that we use and how that contributes, whether it be labeling people in the ways that we talked about before, or, or even just thinking about like, for example, uh, if you think about all the words, we have so many, <laughs> Google it, how many words we have for, for having sex. And there's so many different words out there, but a lot of them are, are quite violent or are like an action directed upon another person rather than this whole response respectful, mutual, oh, loving kind of bang activity. Bang is one of my favorite words for having sex. And that <laughs> definitely has like violent, masculine, gun shooting Well, I think we can definitely think about like reclaiming the power of words as well. That would be another <laughs> approach. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, but I mean, all of the language that we have around, not all of the language, but a lot of the language, especially language that we see in television and movies, is that really aggressive, dominant kind of language too. So reframing that, using some different words, rather than kind of buying into that aggressive kind of sex. Yeah, but I think, yeah, when you speak up, I think that that kind of takes the power from the traditional sources. You know, I, I joke that, you know, back in like elementary school, I don't, you know... I don't know if this still happens, but you know, all the teasing things that people do to one another. I kind of said, you know, someone came up to me and they said, Oh my God, your epidermis is showing. And, and you know, you, me not knowing what that was at the time, it's my skin, but I, you know, I was freaking out. I was like, Oh my God, don't look at me. Uh, you know, it's showing. But you know, if I knew that all of a sudden the power of that joke or the, or the teasing goes away. So same concept with, you know, um, using these words that make someone feel inferior, you're using, you know, feminine words to degrade men, for example, wouldn't be insulting if there's power to being feminine or a female or whatnot, for example. There's nothing wrong with being a sissy or a pussy or <laughs> whatever have you. I mean, you can call me any of those <laughs> words anytime. I'm, I'm cool. I mean, but right, when we look at the biggest insults for men, it's usually calling them a woman. Or, or challenging their masculinity by end, which is an insult to you know, other people that are non-heterosexual, which, again, continuing to, to create the problem. So do you have any specific strategies that you would recommend to protect yourself? Right. So the last strategy, the last question was more about the broadly, like, what can I do to kind of stop rape and sexual assault? Um, do you have specific strategies that someone could use to protect themselves or maybe tell their friends? Uh, so in certain, you're talking about like risk reduction strategies. So there are tons of things you can do. Um, we actually ask this of females. You know, if you ask like, what do you do to keep safe? And you ask it to a room of females versus a room of males. Generally speaking, you get like a, you know, several pages of suggestions from females and like a nothing never even give it any thought. To wear my seatbelt. <laughs> right. Wear my seatbelt. Exactly. But um, yeah, I mean, obviously being aware of, you know, where you are, making sure that you let other people know there's a ton of different apps now where you can, you know, kind of connect to friends uh, through GPS or alert them, you know, where you're going, when you're going or, and, you know, when you're expected to arrive. Um, being mindful of who you are so or where you are, who you're with. So a lot of instances where people will say, like, I will not on these dating apps, like, meet with anyone, you know, in a, in a non-public place. I, I need to, you know, be somewhere where I can be seen and it's kind of safe in that sense. Like I said, I, I hate the victim blaming stuff. Uh, so, you know, take this with a grain of salt, but obviously being mindful of, of how you're being read or interpreted with regards to what it is you're wearing or um, also how much alcohol you're intaking. I know alcohol is kind of this other, especially we're on a college campus and, and doing this work that presents a whole other element when we talk about even how it plays out where we know, for example, females who drink and studies that show that they're more likely to use nonverbal passive forms of, of declining sexual activities versus when they weren't drinking. And males that are drinking are more likely to misread no's and those types of giving non-consensual cues, right? Alcohol just is a whole... I mean, I can't even believe alcohol is legal. I mean, most of our listeners, a lot of you aren't 21 yet. If you are 21, this doesn't pertain to you. But I still like to have a drink now and then. Um, but when I think about all the damage alcohol actually causes across the board, like if I said the number one kind of correlate for men who commit rape was having friends, like being in peer groups who support it. The other side of that is a, a huge number of rapes and sexual assaults occur, especially to younger 
young in younger populations with younger women mediated by alcohol, which means that one or both parties have been drinking. Like, so, I mean, be extra careful regardless of who you are, male or female, gay or straight or trans or whatever you are, just be careful with drinking. Um, I have a lot of female friends who never put their drink down or if they put their drink down for one second, even if they let someone else watch it, they throw it away. I have another friend who gets like a plastic cup lid, like from a McDonald's cup, and she puts it on top of her drink even when she's walking around. Like, mm-hmm. And these are also like the kind of strategies that women are using to protect themselves. Um, and like uh, Ashley said earlier, we really want to make sure that we're not blaming them, right? These are things that we are asking women to do because the world is a sucky, crappy place (laughs) and we're trying to make it better. That's what we're talking about today. Like, what are the things that we can do to make it better? But until it's better enough, we have to invoke strategies that seem kind of blamey. So we're not blaming anyone. Mm -hmm. If you've ever been sexually assaulted, raped or harassed, we're not blaming you at all for it. You didn't deserve it. You never called on it. None of that. But um, hopefully someone listens and a few of these strategies can either help you or help a friend. I really love, we've talked about it before. We talked about how to use dating apps safely a couple episodes ago, well, maybe 20 episodes ago. Um, and I think that uh, the GPS function on phones, like I tell, I tell students, I tell everyone around me, like whenever you go out anywhere with anyone, use find friends or share friends, whatever app it is, just so people know where you are. And then create a timeline too. Like even if you're going out to the club, so you're going out to a bar, if you're going out to a party, like, Give yourself a time where you should be going home as well and check in with people along the way. Um, I think some other really good strategies are like, don't go out alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and have and- conversations with your friends too about, you know, if by certain intervention, you know, at least on campus, we know from the data we collect, it's like people aren't as concerned about protecting themselves for some reason than they are for looking out for their friends. So we'd really try to message to be like, okay, well, if you're going to be a supportive friend, if that's the role you want to play, like, do you know everything you can be doing to look out for your friend because if not then let's have a conversation so making sure that you know what someone's boundaries are that you don't leave each other alone that you know you know that hey if i if i make this strange motion this is your cue to to step in and save the day you know any any things that you can get on the same page about is is really important for kind of demystifying any confusion that might lead to a problem when someone fails to step in when there is a problem yeah. I mean, right. So another really good piece of that is like, if you go to a party or a club or a bar with four people, leave with four people. Mm-hmm. Like you go together, you leave together. Um, and sometimes that's really hard, especially once again, a lot of you are not drinking alcohol, but once alcohol is entered into the mix, it gets, it gets a lot more difficult to, mm-hmm. to manage that. Um, so putting limits on alcohol, number of drinks, all of those kind of things is really pretty helpful at preventing it some as well. Um, so there's only a few more questions. Um, and this one comes up really frequently. We've had it submitted in questions. We did a Reddit Ask Me Anything last year, and there are at least 20 or 30 different iterations. Um, we're going to be doing another one of those uh, in uh, mid-September, once the school year gets going for everybody. Um, so what do you do about girls who lie about being raped? So, you know, a couple times a year, these huge news stories hit where after like a a man has been prosecuted and been like lost his job and gone to jail. And then later it comes out that uh, the person that he had sex with lied about it to get back at him, to protect herself because she didn't Mm want to seem like a whore, whatever the reason is. Um, I know. So I'll let you talk about it. (laughs) But uh, so so what do we do in these kind of situations where these stories come out? I think the main thing, at least when I when I see these stories, the main thing that I like to do is educate people uh, that this is not something that typically happens. You know, we talk about, you know, um, 
lying or reporting false crimes, you know, this is no different than any other crime as far as how often it occurs. It's maybe two to six percent at most. Um, so, you know, I don't want people to think that this kind of feeds into a bigger problem. And, you know, sometimes you, you hear reports of people think that while it's that small, it's upwards of like, oh, I think like half of the reports are are false. And I think that's that's a dangerous view to have, first off, because it's not true. And second off, well, how does that mean you're going to respond to a friend that tells you if you start to blame them or doubt them, then, you know, that's essentially re-traumatizing them, which is something that we absolutely do not want to do. So what I say is I like to educate people about the fact that this is not so common. Let's take a look also in talking about addressing the root causes, let's let's see perhaps why this might have happened when we do have those lose-lose situations about the language of, of how you know, females are supposed to be kind of this gatekeeper of their sexuality. And if they let anyone into the gate, then they're, they're sluts and whores and, and all those bad terms. So that, that was, that's what I would say. But I'm curious, you seem like you had something you wanted to say about it. So, I mean, it, it really comes down to the point where we know it's an incredibly low number, mm-hmm. um, very small percentage of overall reported rapes are false rapes. And I mean, it's a terrible thing to do. When a, when a woman does that, she kind of discounts all of the other women who are actually living Absolutely. through it's traumatic experiences. so hard experiences. to come back from that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a really small percentage. The best thing that you can do is believe, believe people and support people. Um, the vast majority of time when people come forward, it's because they've had traumatic experiences and they're working through it. And it's really hard to come forward too. Um, the, the majority of women who experience sexual assault, harassment, or rape never come forward. They never say anything to anybody. Um, so someone who comes forward, 95% chance that they're being completely honest. Um, and if you ever think about lying about rape and I found out, I'm going to call your mom. He's going to get on you. <laughs> call the police too. No. Um, so, I, but I think it's important for us to talk about it because there's a, it changes the perception because the news doesn't carry story of women who are actually raped, right? The news only carries these sensationalized stories of like so-and-so faked or misled or lied about being raped, mm-hmm. right? Because the media is there to make a dollar. The media is not there to be honest or, or really tell a real true story about what the situation is. All right. They're looking for shock and awe, but that's not the reality. Right. So when it does happen, it's horrible, but the vast majority of cases of rape that are reported are true, honest, real, very sad, upsetting. <laughs> okay. So we have a few more questions. Um, so what can I do to help my friend who has been sexually assaulted? What, like, what are the first steps that you should do? And then what are some later steps? So first and foremost, believe them, <laughs> be there for them, do all that you can to, to not introduce anything that would be a semblance of victim blaming whatsoever. Um, but also, you know, listen to them, make sure that you don't do anything that is pressuring them to make any decisions, give them the control back that they may have lost through this experience. What do you mean by give them their control back? So any, any choices they want to make, you know, it's like some people will be adamant about, well, you've got to report this person or you got to go and you got to do this right here and get some treatments or whatnot, you know? Well, here are your options. What would you like to do? Like, when, when do you want to do it? What, what would you feel most comfortable? I think that's the approach that gives them a little bit of power um, back, which I think is important because we see long term, obviously, initially, any potential physical you know, trauma, but also mental health and, and uh, even maybe even some behavioral changes where, you know, you see instances of trying to regain control in, in possibly unhealthy ways, whether it be 
um, you know, picking up drug use and self-medicating or eating disorders, other things like that, that uh, we can hopefully try to, you know, help them at least by introducing that control back into their lives by giving them the decisions about what's best for them and how they want to proceed. So is it okay to have like gentle recommendations? Like you should probably go on post-exposure prophylaxis. Um, That's a pill that you take to prevent HIV. Uh, I mean, like, where do we put the line for for giving someone control back in their life? And and I believe in giving control. Like, you shouldn't even hug someone without their consent if they're talking about rape and sexual assault. You should not put your arm around them. You should not say, I'm going to go kill that man. Um, You don't want to add violence to an already violent situation. Um, so, but, but for something like, like for me, preventing HIV is really important. Like how, mm-hmm. where do you draw the line between like, you I need think, your like control you said, yeah, I think it's like you said, it's gentle, gentle encouragements. I think that, you know, um, just saying initially, you know, giving them informed decisions. So putting out all the information, including, you know, timelines of when you can, you know, pregnancy testing, STI testing, all those types of things. Uh, so that they kind of have an idea of why this would be important, why they would want to do it, when they would need it by. Same thing as if they wanted to do a rape kit, knowing that, hey, these are, you know, I understand that you're, you probably want to remove these clothes and, and shower or whatnot. Uh, we do want to preserve that evidence if you're interested in, in doing a rape kit. Uh, so let's talk about, you know, are you interested in doing that now? If not, you know, at least could we maybe put the clothing and whatnot into a, a brown paper bag and then bring that over? for for testing and, and samples and whatnot so it's for me it's more just uh, giving all the information and encouraging them to say hey if this is what you want even if you don't want to to pursue charges later on um you at least have the choice now if we don't go through this you don't necessarily have that choice so what based on that what what do you think you want to do I think that's really good advice because you give them all the information you kind of store some of the evidence and then like let them make some of those later choices. Um, so is there anything that you would do for someone later on? Uh, I've had friends who have revealed to me like 15 and 20 years later that these events have happened. Like what can I do in this case to help somebody with their healing process decade plus after the fact? I think it depends on the person. Everyone responds just like shortly after. I mean, I've seen everything from, you know, having to drop out of school and take some time for themselves to, you know, being raped at gunpoint and not act, you know, not even skipping a beat, like being this sunny, cheery person that you've always been. So I think that, you know, it's, it depends on the person. I think to, if they, you know, are, you know, willing to share that information with you or you learn of it, I think that that already speaks volumes about how they respect or, or you are in their circle, so to speak. So I think that you are building on a relationship of trust. And I think that just getting their opinion, like what, what can I do? What can I be? Um, what can I be there for you? You know, what, in what sense? And um, I think that's part of it. I think obviously maintaining boundaries and, and making no assumptions whatsoever about um, what uh, what you can do or how you can engage with them in a physical manner, keeping those boundaries intact. Uh, uh, I think also being mindful of any types of jokes or any other things that might be more of that rape culture that are insensitive that you want to avoid saying around them. Um, but they also the same thing goes for not necessarily knowing who who their the perpetrator is and whether that person might still be crossing paths with them. So I think that that's another element where we have to be careful about how we engage in, in groups of people and, and whether or not we might be bringing that perpetrator back into their life unknowingly. 
um, if they don't share that with information with us, that gets a little bit hard, but we still have to be mindful of what we can do to kind of keep their environment safe, support them, encourage them to seek out additional resources that might be beneficial to them and all, you know, all those different things. I mean, something that we didn't cover today, we didn't really talk about, uh, the media, movies, television shows, most of the time, whenever there's rape or sexual assault, they show it as someone like a stranger in an jumping alley, out of a bush or someone <laughs> jumping out of a bush. Um, I don't have, the, I don't know the statistics off the top of my head, but that's, that's a tiny proportion. Right? It is. I think it's like, um, rain talks about like 39% are, are people that you're acquainted with. And another like 33% are, are maybe a former, you know, sexual partner or whatnot. Someone you're married to or just engaging in, in relationship with. Right. So, so it's so over two thirds are someone that you already know. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Um, so we're at the end of our show and normally we call it just the tip, but that doesn't seem like a great <laughs> ending for an episode on rape and sexual assault. We're not trying to diminish or laugh at it at all. No. So do you have, if, if you, if you could think like, what is one takeaway point that you wish that everybody who listened knows and that they would tell one other person? I think the main thing is to, to understand your role in this. And I, it's not me to like, wag fingers or whatnot and say like you are the part of the problem you know it's like we were all socialized in this in this culture in the society and so we have internalized these beliefs uh ways of thinking ways of behaving that kind of perpetuate rape culture so i think you know to to hear all these things and step back and say well i'm not a rapist this doesn't apply to me i think is is I'm trying to encourage you not to do that, to, to engage in the conversation and understand how you play a part and and how you can make changes in your own life um, through your actions, your thoughts, but also how you can speak up whenever you hear something that doesn't sound right uh, to help move that needle and, and change the culture. Because I think that, like we've been talking about, it's kind of the root of it all that gets us more to the don't rape side of things rather than the, the don't, don't get, get raped. My tip. Um, mine is for the men out there who are listening. Um, and mine is about being defensive, right? So I've had a lot of conversations with men who they hear messaging like about don't rape or we need to talk about sexual assault and they immediately get defensive and say, I'm not a rapist. Mm -hmm. I'm not one of those men. Why are you telling me this kind of information? Um, I just want you the next time it happens, instead of being defensive, say like, yeah, this is a big problem and it's not going to get fixed unless we all work on it together. Um, so if you have any further questions for us, feel free to send us an email or call us. Um, our email is thesexwrap at gmail.com. If you have any questions for Ashley, uh, we'll forward them to her as well. You can call us at 413-I-RAPIT. Um, if you have any major questions about rape or sexual assault, if you're in an emergency situation, if you want additional resources, if you want training for bystander education, all the different stuff we talked about, RAIN is a great place to get it. It's R-A-I-N-N.org. We'll put a link to it in the show bio today as well. Um, and if you or someone you know ever has a problem, if I were you, I'd take out your cell phone right now and enter it. It's the National Sexual Assault Hotline. It's 1-800-656-4673. So like I said, if you have any questions, just let us know about this show or anything else about sex, love, relationships, um, sexual health, STIs, anything you really want to talk about. Thanks for listening today. Um, find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We're at The Sex Wrap. And like I said, you can call us or email us anytime. Thanks, everyone. Have a good one. For everything that you were too afraid to ask at home, too embarrassed to ask at school, or just too... Blah, 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 blah. 
music for this episode provided by the ever-elusive and mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. The Podglomerate. A Sonic Universe.